Morning, Oscar, and your guest. You know, when it comes to the target, like you're saying the regulatory target, the question is, what's that regulator? But the main problem here is that there is no enforcement from the Department of Labor. We have a, I mean, like a legislation, Employment Equity Act, uh, like and the Constitution, as I guess I've already said, but there is no enforcement. So as long as there is no enforcement from Department of Labor, public and private will continue doing as they do. It will just be business as usual. They don't have the will to employ us people with disabilities. Thanks. Good morning, Sis Kathy. Hope you're having a great morning thus far. Kazamola Koza from Pretoria Sochangu. Currently living with disability, I'm in a blind sector, I'm currently partially sighted. You know, Sis Kathy, it's very painful finding us, you know, being caught between a rock and a hard place. Being excluded like this, like, it's very, very painful. Even now, I'm busy doing my daily job, which is lying on my bed, listening to SAFM. But it's fine, because, you know, it's, one thing that really, really hurts me is that I, 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 I do have qualifications, you know, uh, you know, Sis Katie, I, 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 I recently uh, did uh, introduction to computer. I have a certificate in introduction to computer and I have a certificate in uh, contact center and support. So even though we have qualifications, we are still excluded, but it's fine. Yeah, thank you all for your contribution to this conversation. I mean, sometimes I'm just left speechless because I think more than anything, we want solutions to the kind of problems that people face and to the issues that we discuss on the show. And certainly in this situation, one, I, I become at a loss for words because where do we even begin to go uh, to look for for these solutions that can make such a huge difference in people's lives that it is that it is even happening in in the first place for me is also um something that that needs to be looked at so we're going to finalize the show on and have this conversation today the independent police investigative directorate that's ipad it's investigating a case of a police officer uh, who discharged a firearm and shot and injured a suspect. Uh, the officer was called to a lodge in Mildstrift outside Krugersdorp this weekend. It's understood that the victim was armed, at least allegedly, and that he was creating trouble with staff at the lodge. That's when police were called in. Now, there is a very short video on social media that is showing uh, the guest effectively cocking his uh, firearm and, um, you know, grabbing the firearm f from a female officer. And this this resulted in, in an altercation. And ultimately, um, this particular individual ended up being shot and is now in a critical condition in hospital. Now, there's been very divided public opinion about uh, who was in the wrong and who was in the right and much of it is based on this video that has been circulating. Brad Nathanson is a former police officer and current owner of Brad Nathanson Investigations, and he joins us now. Uh, Brad, good morning and thanks for your time today. 
Good morning, Kathy, and uh, thank you for your time. I also want to say how much I enjoy your show. Oh, th- thank you so much for that, Brett. I-, I know that you may not ne- necessarily be in a position to talk about the specifics of um, this particular case, but I think it has raised a lot of questions about what police are able to do when they face life-threatening situations. Oftentimes, it's the other way around, right, where there are cases of uh, police brutality and um, basically police being scrutinized by, uh, for rather, how they respond to situations. But very rarely do we take a look at how officers in these situations sometimes may be feeling about the risk that they perceive on their own lives. Kathy, I agree with you. You know, um, I have, the, the question begs who would want to be a policeman in South Africa these days because mm-hmm. I can tell you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Uh, if the police had, had fired a shot earlier, there would have been controversy. If they'd fired the shot later, there would have been controversy. It seems that they can never win. But in this instance, I don't believe that this policeman acted out of order at all. I believe that this policeman had absolutely no alternative but to fire the shot that he shot and and I personally, and it's my opinion, I have no problem with that shooting at all. Mm. Let's talk about the circumstances under which, by law, a police officer can respond in that way when they when they believe their lives uh, are, are under threat. And I know you're a former police officer, so so maybe you can uh, talk to us about some of your own personal experiences as well. Well, that's precisely what it is. It's when your life is under threat, or the or is under imminent threat or imminent threat of the life of somebody nearby you, like a colleague or something. Now, in, in my opinion, somebody in this instance was always going to get shot. I can't imagine what Tutti thought was going to happen to him when he disarmed a member of the police force and was then waving around a firearm that belonged to a policewoman who had been dispossessed. Mm. This was always going to end in tragedy. Mm. And and are there certain protocols here? Because that's one of the questions that people have been asking. You know, uh, did did the officer do the right thing? What are the protocols? What should he have done? Is there a clear cut way? And again, oftentimes these are moving situations, so um, I, I imagine that there isn't always a, a lot of time to follow a ten step process if it in fact does even exist. Look, that policeman had a very short window in order to make a very big decision. Um, uh, There was so many, I mean, I could go on for hours about what should have gone on in this. For me, in the beginning, I believe that that man should have been overpowered by being tear gassed and manhandled into handcuffs. And then the, the, the incident with him waving a firearm and then the subsequent shooting would have been averted. The time that he produced his own firearm, he should have been cautioned verbally, and if he continued to wave that firearm around in a threatening manner, mm. he should have been shot then. You know, the thing is that they were in a confined space. So if a firearm had been discharged by the suspect at any point, there was always the risk that somebody else was going to be shot, somebody, a colleague, another police person, even the, even the policeman that was standing in front of him at the time, maybe even the suspect himself. So there are so many moving parts in this story. Mm. When when police officers are dealing with somebody who is deemed to be unruly, as this man has been described by the staff at the lodge, uh, again, um, 
you know, is, is there a clear-cut way of responding to to such individuals, especially where they are unresponsive to um, whatever requests are being made by the authorities? Look, it's difficult. Every situation mm. is difficult. But there's no... For me, there's, it, there was likely alcohol involved. There was likely drugs involved. Most definitely steroids. And the biggest thing of all was ego. Don't forget that somebody was video recording this. So somebody was enjoying the way that that the suspect was behaving to these police personnel. And I have to ask myself the question, and I do, would he have behaved the same way if white policemen had been responding to this? I think that he had started out (laughs) by appearing naked in front of policemen. He started out to try and intimidate and continued to be disrespectful right the way through this process. He had ample opportunity to calm down, but nobody in the room seemed to want to calm him down. This all seemed to be for show, and at the end of the day, if this video had not been made viral, as it has, um, we would be only hearing about the story and not seeing it. And, and there is a level of bravado, as, as, as you're describing, that, that one sees in this, this video. Ultimately, it also comes down to the undermining of the authority of, of the police. And yes, you know, we may have different opinions about whether or not uh, we have effective police officers in this country, but ultimately they are a representation of the South African state. And, and when they appear, uh, certainly they, they bring with them the, the full might of the, of the South African state. Kathy, absolutely. That man shows absolutely no respect for the SAPS uniform whatsoever. You know, the, his disrespectful behavior, notwithstanding, people can say what they like about the shooting. You can say what you like about the state of the police force, but they are still as you have said correctly, representative of the state, representative of the law and order of this of this of this country. I wanted to speak to, about something else as well. You must mm-hmm. remember that that policewoman who was dispossessed of her firearm, she had a retention cord attached to that weapon. The retention cord is attached it attaches the weapon to the body of the police person by way of her belt or by way of her holster. That is a not that's not an easy thing to break. Do you know that he was so strong, that man, that he snapped that retention cord? What else could anybody have assumed he was going to do next with that weapon other than discharge it? That, that policeman drew his firearm, cocked it, and fired simultaneously in such a short space of time mm. that you could only believe that he was behaving in reflex. Are these the kind of scenarios that we often see police being called in to, to, to try and resolve and to try and respond to? So, so I'm asking, were the police the right people to call in this in this scenario? They were, they were most definitely the right people to call. However, mm. they were ill-equipped. You know, my understanding is that police are not even today equipped with tear gas. And, and tear gas would have been the best thing to have deployed upon this individual, spray him full of tear gas, throw him to the ground, handcuff him, and take him away. Also, remember something else, that there were three other people in that room, Kathy, one of them being, at least one of them being another man. So there was a level of intimidation, probably also a bodybuilder, there was a level of intimidation all around for these policemen who responded. I imagine responding to a room where a man is standing in front of you, he's a big unit of a man, and he's stark naked. There's already a level of intimidation. So he was never going to be respectful. He was never going to, to behave in a way that he was supposed to. He was always going to undermine the police, and this was always going to end mm-hmm. in tragedy. 
Brad, we are often used to seeing tear gas when there are uh, throngs of people gathered for whether protests or uh, whatever other public engagements may be taking place, and uh, the police firing tear gas to, to you know to get people to disperse or to try and manage the crowd. Is is it allowed to fire tear gas into a room as, as small as that? Kathy, it's two different types of tear gas. The, t- the tear gas to which you refer is used mm. to deploy big crowds of people, masses of people. The tear gas that we used to carry as policemen was like an aerosol can, and you used that to spray into the face of the suspect. And I promise you that that would have immobilized him immediately. Mm, mm. And, and, and do you think that that is something that now that IPED is investigating this case that could come up as a critique for how those officers managed that situation? Look, I, like I said already, I, it's my understanding that, that policemen are no longer issued with tear gas, which for me, is, is it already makes you have to take a step to the next level because you don't have tear gas to deal with. So what next do you have to use? Well, it's your firearm. So I believe that tear gas has to be reintroduced as mandatory equipment for each and every police personnel. Mm. You know, Brad, you, you mentioned something important, and you said it's very difficult to be a police officer in South Africa today because you're almost doomed if you do, damned if you do rather, and damned if if you don't. How much more difficult does that make the day to work, day to day work of of officers understanding? the level of scrutiny, understanding the extent to which public opinion, by and large, seems to be against them? You know, it's not the criminality in this country that's going to destroy this country. It's the lawlessness. And it's to everybody. I mean, we find it even as private detectives these days that people have absolutely no respect for the law and less, they have much less respect for the police at large. Um, in some, in many instances, the police are their own enemy because they 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 don't treat the public the way that they should. But mm-hmm. there there are many 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 police officers out there who just go about doing their job. They just want to go out, do their job, come home safely to their loved ones. They're all human, just as we are. So so for, there's a minority of guys that are bringing the name of the police force down, but there's a minority of guys that are bringing the names of the security industry down and the, and the private investigation sector. So. Uh, it's very, very difficult in this country to, to be a law enforcement person because I can tell you now that the respect for the law is almost zero. Mm. Brad, let me thank you for coming onto the show. Brad Nathanson, a po- former police officer and current owner of Brad Nathanson Investigations. So we're all, we've almost come to the end of the show today. Before we do that, a couple of WhatsApp uh, voice notes and then I'll be handing you over to the update at noon.